turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8, which in the church Bibles is page 972. Matthew chapter 8, and I'm going to read uh, just two verses of Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. So let me read you those uh, verses. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him. And he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. This is God's word. Uh, The subject of miraculous healing could be given in the Table Talk series of Hot Topics, because it is indeed a very uh, controversial topic in the church. And as we come to this section in Matthew's Gospel, we may be asking questions about whether and how healing is given to us today by Jesus. In Matthew chapter 8, so far, we have seen that Jesus heals the outcast. We've seen the healing of the leper, the centurion, and Peter's mother-in-law, the woman, all of which in this society were outcasts. And it is clear in these verses that Jesus has come to bring the blessing of God's kingdom to all kinds of people in fulfillment to the promise that Abraham received that all nations would be blessed through him. And after these three healings, we read in verse 16 that the evening came. Now, as Christians, uh, we can lose a sense of wonder, I think, as we read Bible passages that we're familiar with. We all know that Jesus healed. We all know that he healed on a huge scale. Some make the mistake of thinking that it must have been more wonderful then because medical science has had not advanced in the same way as it has today. But that's actually a mistake. Certainly medical science has advanced. But the diseases Jesus heals here were no doubt ones that are still incurable today. And the ease with which he healed would have been amazing to behold. There was no uh, taking medication. He didn't send them away uh, with some pills. There was no convalescence needed here. They were healed. It was miraculous. And we can lose a a sense of wonder at what's going on here. But imagine if someone was on Pelsall Common and they could heal any disease with a word or a touch. And after they had done this, it was confirmed by doctors. It was a, a, a real healing. That's the kind of thing going on here. And it would be no less amazing today than it was then. And the scale is just phenomenal. Many came. Many came, it says. And he drove out spirits with just a word. 
And it says he healed all the sick that came to him here in Capernaum. There was no person, there was no disease that was beyond the power of Jesus to heal. It was amazing. And so let's not lose the sense of awe and and wow at what is going on here. Well, after showing this awesome power, Matthew then quotes Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, where Isaiah says that the Messiah would take up our infirmities and bear our sicknesses. And this verse appears to say that Christians, followers of Jesus, should be healed of sicknesses if they trust in Jesus. And it's this that I want to unpack this evening. Is healing, like we see Jesus doing here, for us today? It's a question that many might be asking in our church family. There are, there are many, many people among us who are sick at this time. There are many going through various medical uh, treatments. How should we respond to those situations in light of what we read here in Matthew's Gospel, that Jesus came to take our infirmities and bear our diseases? That's what we're going to look at this evening. Healing, then, now, and not yet. So it's a slight detour, actually, from uh, Matthew's Gospel. It's not a detour in one sense, because we're in Matthew's Gospel. But in one sense, we're going to go elsewhere as well to look at this subject in a bit of detail. But Matthew chapter 8 is our starting point. So, first of all, what is miraculous healing? It should be noted that all healing actually is from God, whether or not it is miraculous. If we take medicine or follow a diet or exercise regime that brings us health, then it is God who gives the raw materials to make the medicine or the food or the ability for people to have the wisdom to put them together. And he's designed our bodies in such a way as to respond well uh, to, uh, to healthy living. If we pray for a treatment to work, and it does, we can thank God without calling it a miraculous healing. Matthew chapter 8 is a typical passage of New Testament healing that is a little bit different to that, to what we've just mentioned. These are examples of miraculous healing. We, what we've seen here with the leper, the centurion's servant, and Peter's mother-in-law, and then with the many that came in the evening, is very different from the everyday healing that uses natural means. These are examples of miraculous healings which we see multitudes of in the Gospels and in Acts. A miraculous healing is a mighty work that is so unusual in the natural world that it can only be done by a higher power. And so we see examples here of incurable disease being healed by a word that is spoken or a touch that is given. There is a power over sickness that is not of this fallen world. We see miraculous healing occasionally in the Old Testament. But there is nothing even there on the scale as what happens when Jesus comes. And the manner of healing shows that it's miraculous. 
It was with a word or with a touch. But the results of the healing show it was miraculous too. So being a miraculous healing, it was first of all complete. The symptoms were completely gone. There was no hint of leprosy, which is what the priest would have confirmed when the leper went to the temple. The fever that Peter's mother-in-law had left her and did not return. Whatever was causing the illness disappeared. So if a brain tumor or a broken spine was brought to Jesus, that problem would no longer be there. It was complete. But secondly, it was permanent. This wasn't a temporary relief. The leper didn't go away from Jesus and then a week later get that leprosy back. It was permanently gone for good. Now this, of course, does not mean that those people never got sick again. They all died of something eventually. But they never suffered from the actual disease that Jesus healed. These things are important to note because if we are claiming miraculous healing from God today, then we need to understand what is meant by miraculous healing. It's an unusual, mighty work of God that produces complete and permanent healing without natural means. So the next question, why did Jesus heal? Well, in one sense, we can say that Jesus was compassionate, which, of course, he was. He wanted to heal people because he loved them. But his healing of the sick is more than that alone. There are a number of other significant reasons why Jesus healed the sick and cast out demons, as we see here in Matthew chapter 8. First of all, one reason why Jesus healed was to, to show that he is God. To show that he is God. If we put these, these verses in Matthew 8 in the context of Matthew's gospel, we see that he has just preached the Sermon on the Mount where he was seen to teach with one with authority. Remember at the end of the sermon, Matthew says how people were amazed at the authority with which Jesus taught. And Matthew wants to show us that Jesus has that authority because Jesus is God. And all the gospel writers do this to a degree. They show the miraculous power of Jesus to show this is God. Only God can do the things that Jesus does. We see this, in fact, in the sections of Matthew, which we're going to look at in the next few weeks. Jesus calms the storm in the uh, next passage. and Well, not the next passage, the next one after that. But in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 27, look at what they say. What kind of man is this? When demons speak to him in Matthew chapter 8 verse 29, they say... What do you want with us, son of God? And when Jesus forgives the paralytic in chapter 9 and verse 6, he says, But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, which only God can do. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And so, in other words, for this reason, he says to the paralyzed man, Get up, take your mat, and go home. He forgives his sin, And to show that he has authority to do that, he tells the man, 
get up, take your mat and go home. Now, of course, he had compassion on the man who was paralyzed. But his main purpose here, he says, is to show that he has authority to forgive sins. So the miracles generally, including the healings here specifically, attest to the fact that Jesus is God. Secondly, Jesus healed to show the importance of faith in him. It was faith in Jesus to make them well that was the means God used to provide healing. You see this in the case of the leper, who fell before Jesus in a way he would not have dared done to anybody else. But even more clearly, faith is seen in the centurion, isn't it? Where Jesus says in chapter 8, verse 11, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. And then Jesus tells him in verse 13, let it be done just as you believed it would. The people there were healed because they had faith in Jesus as the only one who could bring the healing they needed. And again, this is seen all through the Gospels. Jesus is saying, have faith in me. So he attests his deity, he shows he's God, he shows the importance of faith in him, and thirdly, the healings demonstrate the arrival of God's kingdom. In Matthew chapter 12, just a few pages on from chapter 8, and verses 22 to 24, Jesus drives out a demon, and then he's accused of being a demon himself. And Jesus refutes this claim in verse 28 by saying this, Matthew chapter 12, verse 28. If it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Driving out demons by the Spirit of God was Jesus showing a sign that the kingdom has come. The coming of God's kingdom is a key theme in Matthew. Jesus preached about it all the time. And the miracles are proof that it has come and that the king has arrived. The arrival of the king, in fact, is shown even more clearly in Matthew chapter 11, where John the Baptist is having doubts about Jesus. And Jesus responds by saying that he is the king because... Matthew chapter 11, verses 4 and 5, Jesus said, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. So John the Baptist is saying, Are you really the Messiah? Are you God's king who has come to set up God's kingdom? And Jesus says, Look, The blind are receiving their sight. The lame are walking. The lepers are cleansed and so on. In other words, I'm healing and I'm proclaiming the good news. The kingdom of God has arrived. It was expected that when God's kingdom has come, these things will happen. Which is where Matthew chapter 8 and verse 17 comes in. After these healings take place... Jesus says how they fulfill prophecy from Isaiah 53 in verse 4. So look again at Matthew chapter 8 verse 17. It says, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. 
This passage in Isaiah speaks, as was read in our Bible reading earlier, of the suffering servant who would be a substitute for sinners and take the punishment for their sins. I'm going to read you again verses 4 to 6, and they'll appear on the screen, so you don't need to turn to Isaiah uh, chapter 53. But listen uh, again to verses 4 to 6. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here in these words, we see that Jesus will take our pain and suffering as well as being pierced for our transgressions and having our iniquity laid upon him. Isaiah says here that Jesus would pay for our sins and also heal our sicknesses. Both are there. Now we know that Jesus paid for sin on the cross, which is where that punishment took place. But it also says here in Isaiah that this is where also our sicknesses were taken and our suffering was born as well. Notice, by his stripes, or by his wounds rather, we are healed. He takes up our pain, he bears our suffering. It is there in this passage about the cross. So the question that you may be asking is this. Is there healing in the atonement? The atonement, by the way, that's uh, a word that describes Uh, Jesus' death on the cross to pay for our sins. It means to make right with God. At one make is what the word means. So we know, people in, most people here would agree, I'm sure, as Christians, that on the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for our sin, and so we are right with God. He he died for our sins, that, that our sins are placed on him, therefore we have access to God, we have a home in heaven because our sin is forgiven. But does that include healing? Well, there are two uh, rather extreme positions which some Christians hold to. On the one hand, there are Christians who believe that when Isaiah mentions pain, suffering and healing, he's using various words to describe sin. And when healing is used, it's another word for forgiveness of sin. They would read Matthew chapter 8 and verse 17 as Jesus showing through healing what he will do with sin, eradicate it from those who have faith in him. Now whilst it's true that sin can be described as a sickness, and it is true that Jesus bears our sins as he pays for them on the cross, the plain reading of both Isaiah and Matthew would say that there is more to this healing than representation of sin and Jesus dealing with our sins. On the other hand, there are Christians who look at Isaiah and its fulfillment in Matthew and say that this shows 
that Jesus has come and has died so that we can be healed from all sickness. And therefore, there is no reason why any Christian should ever be sick or remain sick once they have put their faith in Jesus. And if you are sick, well, then you haven't put faith in Jesus enough. Now, whilst it's true, as we've seen in Matthew chapter 8 and Isaiah, that Jesus does come to bring healing, it is just simply not true that Christians do not get sick. It's just simply not true that all Christians are healed as soon as they put their faith in Jesus. Aside from examples from our own experience, Paul the Apostle did not have his thorn in the flesh removed. Timothy was told to take a little wine for his stomach problems rather than have a miraculous healing. It's not true that Matthew chapter 8 verse 17 means that healing is not in the atonement. But neither is it true that when sin is atoned for, there is immediate healing from all sickness. But it is true that yes, there is healing in the atonement. And here is how. The reason that there is sickness in our world is because there is sin in our world. Now that's not to say that every sickness we have is because of a sin that we've committed. Sometimes uh, that is the case. We bear the consequences sometimes of our um, poor health choices, for example. But when sin entered the world, the world was corrupted. And one of the ways that that manifests itself is through sickness. And when Jesus dies for, for our sins, he not only dies that we can be forgiven, that is paying the debt we have to God, but he also dies that we may inherit the blessings of people without sin, which is a reverse of the consequences of sin, one of which is sickness. In dealing with the problem of sin, Jesus deals with its consequences too. And this is so complete that it includes healing of all our diseases. But then, of course, we're left with the question, does that mean that Christians should be healed now if they have sins forgiven. Well, another way of looking at this is to think of other benefits that come because of the fact that Jesus has paid the penalty for our sins. Because sin has been dealt with, we will no longer sin because its power has been removed from us. Because Jesus has dealt with sin, we will no longer die. Because we're going to have resurrection bodies that will never corrupt or fade or perish. If we're going to claim that we should always be physically well and never be sick, then we should also claim that we should always be perfect and never sin and have bodies that are incorruptible. And I've never met anybody that would claim that. However, God has promised us new bodies in which we will never sin. The point is this. We will be healed of all our diseases. We will sin no more. We can look forward to new bodies. The question is not if, but when. We will be fully made new in heaven, but not before. From Isaiah, we see that the cross is the basis of all the benefits we receive as believers. 
but not all those benefits are received at the present time. When Jesus heals in the way that he does in Matthew chapter 8 and throughout the Gospels and in Acts, with such numbers being healed, it is a glimpse of the kingdom of God in advance of its coming. It shows us what God's kingdom will look like when its effects are not just felt in one part of Palestine, but on the whole earth for all eternity. As citizens of God's heavenly kingdom, this world is a foreign land. But here we see Jesus, if you like, sending us a DVD from home that shows us what home looks like. And it looks amazing, doesn't it? This picture is made uh, even clearer in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 21, we have another glimpse of our heavenly home. Where he will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And we read in that wonderful chapter, Revelation 21, of everything being made new. A new heavens and earth. All suffering, all pain will be gone because there is no sin there. It is an unspoilt, perfect world, a new creation. So we can't claim that all Christians must be healed right now. Just like we can't claim all Christians should be sinless right now or receive new bodies right now. But does that mean that none of these benefits can be received right now? No Christian would disagree that God answers prayer. And that sometimes his answer, he answers his prayer by making people well. In a similar way, God works in us to root out sin so that we would grow in holiness as his people. Those prayers are often answered too. In fact, not many Christians that would deny that God can heal miraculously today even in the New Testament sense of it being complete and permanent. God can heal. God does heal. But the question to ask then is, why doesn't God always heal today? Well, first of all, it is simply a fact that God does not always heal today. Because many Christians, even ones perhaps in this very room, have not been healed yet. And I say yet, because of course one day in heaven we certainly will be. But some may not be healed this side of heaven. When Jesus healed, it was to show that he is God, to show the importance of faith in him, or to increase faith in him, and to demonstrate his kingdom coming. And we could say that the same happens when God heals today. If God brings a miraculous healing, it is always to bring him glory, which is given when people confess him as God, have faith in him, and acknowledge his kingdom and his kingly rule over his kingdom. All God does is for his glory, and this includes miraculous healing. But the Bible is also clear that God also brings suffering for his glory too. And in suffering, people can see that he is God 
People can see the importance of faith in him. People can see his kingdom in our lives as we suffer. Sometimes God heals. Sometimes God does not. But it's always for his glory. And always for our good. And down to his sovereignty, wisdom and love. Listen to these words from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verses 7 to 11. Again, these will be on the screen uh, behind me. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 to 11. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Paul doesn't mention sickness here specifically, but later on in 2 Corinthians, he talks about times he has been ill and of his thorn in the flesh. But notice here that Christ's resurrection power is seen through the hardships that we face. His life being revealed in our mortal bodies. The world may wonder at a Christian who claims to have been miraculously healed. They may ask questions about God and and what he has done. But don't think for one moment that they don't wonder, perhaps even more, at the Christian who is deeply in love with Jesus after years of suffering. The world wonders at a Christian who suffers And still says God is good and wise and loving. God is immensely glorified in the church and in the world. When a suffering Christian shows that the life of Christ is in their suffering body. How many times have we seen suffering Christians shine brightly for Jesus Showing that he is good and loving and wise and kind, even when life is at its most difficult. Sometimes God, this side of heaven, heals. And sometimes for his good purposes, he does not. But always, he is a God we can trust. We should pray for healing. Of course, We want to see God make our loved ones well. But our trust is ultimately in the wisdom and the love of God who always does what's best for his glory and our good and the good of his kingdom even when we cannot see it. There's one more question I want to ask on this subject because it's linked And it's this, what about 
the gift of healing. In some uh, of the New Testament epistles, gifts from the Holy Spirit are listed, the purpose of which is to build up the church and to help them bring glory to God. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, we read of gifts of healing. It's worth mentioning with this that there is no office in the church of healer. But rather, members of the church may be given this gift. So always be wary of ones who claim that they are healers. All the gifts are given, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11 says, as God determines. That is, God distributes gifts as he sees fit. And with all of the gifts, there is no certainty that the gift will remain on somebody permanently. But again, it's as God determines. So what is the gift of healing? It would appear that the gift of healing is where God uses someone uniquely to have prayer for miraculous healing answered. This may involve biblical practices such as laying on hands or anointing with oil. But if someone has this gift, it would be used in the same way that it's used by Jesus and the apostles in that it brings glory to God, it increases faith, and it shows that God's kingdom is here. And the miraculous healing, if it is claimed to be a miracle from God, needs to be complete and permanent. Because that's what miraculous healing in the New Testament is. So we should be wary of meetings with the specific intention of healing the sick. We should be wary because we cannot guarantee healing. It is in accordance with God's will. We should be wary of claims to miraculous healings that are false. In fact, many so-called Miraculous healing ministries make big claims but show very uh, underwhelming results. Often the healings, as they call them, are just minor uh, illnesses that are slightly alleviated. Healers often uh, pick out the cases that they're going to pray for and they single out cases that can be uh, psychosomatic. We should be wary of any meeting of this kind where also the gospel is not preached. Jesus, in fact, said it is better to lose a limb and go to heaven than to go to hell with all your limbs intact. Our biggest need is forgiveness of sins more than healing from disease this side of glory, which is exactly what we see in Matthew chapter 9 with the paralytic. He forgives his sins, and then he heals him after. Well, finally, let me close with some words from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is uh, the end of the chapter that we were reading a moment ago. Uh, This is what Paul writes there. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, even if you are healed, you will still waste away eventually. 
Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Brothers and sisters, our final hope is heaven. Any sickness now should be giving us a greater anticipation of the time when it will be no more. If we die, the outcome is heaven for us, which will be so glorious that the current suffering won't even compare to it. It's right that we want to be well, we want to be healed, that we can use these bodies to give glory to God as we live for him. But perhaps there are times when we hold a little bit too fast and too much to life here and forget the glory to come. Remember, everyone is going to die unless the Lord returns. So not everyone is going to be healed. But for the Christian, as Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, these words this evening uh, hit home uh, to us because there are so many uh, that we know that are suffering with very serious illnesses. And Father, it is our heart's desire to see people healed. People that are your people, that have served you faithfully and want to continue serving you faithfully. We pray, Lord, that you would bring healing. But Lord, we also pray that in the midst of suffering, your people would shine as lights for Jesus. And Father, we thank you so much for the many ones who do shine. And in their suffering are such great testimonies who testify of your wisdom and love, who share the gospel in such powerful ways. Give them strength, Heavenly Father, to continue to shine as lights for Christ. And may all of us be such when our time of suffering comes, as we know it will. And Father, help us to keep our eyes focused on heaven and on the glories that await us there, that we would not lose heart. And we thank you that you will heal us of all our infirmities and all our diseases. We thank you that there will be new bodies for all of us. We thank you that in Christ we have such a glorious hope that no one else in the world could possibly have. And so when we meet others that are suffering that are not Christians, may we show them something different. May we show them the glory of the cross and the wonder of heaven And that because of Jesus, we can be forgiven of all of our sins and we can have eternal life.
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to close with um, two songs which remind us of our glorious future, reminds us of the, the wisdom and the love and the goodness of God. Uh, first of all, uh, all will be well, and then a reminder that we will meet him in the air. So let's stand and let's worship our good and gracious and kind and loving God.